0: Welcome to the Soul Sisters series, where you'll get thought-driven, inspiring topics for your soul, with Von Solis and Brenda Rachel. So welcome to another episode of Soul Sisters. Uh, This is our third episode providing you with thought-driven, inspiring information as two sisters who grew up in the same family with a lot of dysfunction. And have basically arrived at a very similar place in our lives with completely uh different experiences. And all of these episodes that we're offering you on this Soul Sister series are giving you snippets into what led us to become who we are today, what got us through the dysfunction, certainly what got us through our various challenges, how to stay motive, how to uh, motivated, how to stay inspired, and a whole bunch of other goodies that we talk about. So welcome to the So sisters, so last week we focused on one point of the several we were going to talk about, and um, that was basically uh, uh, dedicated to the difficulty that well, I'm going to wager millions of people right struggle with in terms of staying on the on the planet, our own struggles in um, in you know um, having that conflict in our personal lives, and more generally, trying to help people who do struggle with that inner conflict, knowing that they really are meant to stay on the planet, but the body and the mind is telling them, no, no. So tune into that uh, episode uh, two on Soul Sisters, uh, part two, and uh, you can hear a lot more about what we had to say about that. So today, what we are gonna be talking about is exit points and we're not going to spend a lot of time on exit points, but we want to give you an idea of what spiritual uh, thought and and practice uh, sort of teach about that in general, and how to think about exit points. We're going to both uh, be talking about our own um, near death situations that we have gone through. A few in my life. Uh, my sister Brenda. Uh, she'll explain her own uh, experiences around that. Um, and just how to think about them in terms of linking that to exit points. And then we're going to be talking about family dysfunction. We're we're sort of building a story for you. Uh, paint the picture of the context, the framework in which we grew up and how, you know, because all of us are absolutely right, sis, conditioned by our uh, beliefs, the practices, certainly of our parents. Yes. Right? Yep. Yeah. And really, really kind of, you have to have it within you to break away through, uh, from that. Yeah. So that's why we're going to be talking to real dysfunction, which some of us can also be really embarrassed to talk about, mm-hmm. right? Yes. I mean, we know that people don't come from perfect families, but, you know, you don't sit there and go really public necessarily unless you have messages about your personal dysfunction. It's to basically just really um, honor that dysfunction, and we do the best we can as um you know, family members in every role, but it does play a huge role in what we struggle with as adults. Mm -hmm. And this is what we want to 100% talk about and share any uh, of the angelic wisdom as both Brenda and I are angel healing practitioners as well uh, and authors and um, provide a lot of that information in the work that we do, but also just having these conversations. Yes, Yeah. And we want you to be part of that we're also going to be talking a little bit uh and we're going to be coming back to this over and over and over again because it's an absolute theme certainly in the work uh I do and pretty much the work you do as well in terms of we're just going to call it manifesting you and I really don't think of it as manifesting a manifesting practice in our lives anymore because we've done it for so long and we just now ask the angels and you know say hey universe angels we need this and we get it but for people that don't have that ability, we're going to talk about uh, throughout this series, beliefs, principles, just just ways of, of how we stuck to it and um, believe. So we're going to be talking about a quote that my sister has in uh, her book, uh, All I Have to Do is Believe to Achieve. And I love that. So we're going to be talking about that a little bit. And uh, closing out, uh, we're just going to tease you with when things don't go your way. (laughs) And we're going to be leading uh, off with that in the next episode. Okay. So, sis, let's open up a little bit with um, exit points. Okay. And um, how you came to sort of um, learn about them. Okay. And how you think of them today. Okay. So, where I learned about them was enduring virtues, uh, Angel. Heal a uh, therapy practitioner course mm-hmm. that we took together. Mm-hmm. And uh, during one of the parts in her course, she was talking about exit points. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember if it was eight or nine, mm-hmm. but anyway, there was a number that she gave mm-hmm. and said that we had whatever the number was I'm going to say nine, but mm-hmm. anyway, exit points mm-hmm. in our life where we chose to exit the planet. Mm-hmm. And but at any time, if we'd made a decision at that time that we had chosen to leave, mm-hmm. to not leave, yeah. then divine intervention mm-hmm. occurred. Mm-hmm. And we did not leave. Yeah. At that you know, pre predestined, pre, yeah. pre arranged time that we chose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, so I'm just gonna say here, I'm gonna frame mine kind of in soul contracts. Mm-hmm. And so it's really interesting. and i'm I'm we're only bringing this up um audience just for a little bit of fun here. It's this is not to like convince anybody that there are exit points. but it's really more to think about um going back in your life and going, Yeah, why did I have a close call? Mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And what if I had died? And more importantly, because I didn't leave the planet, wow, what what maybe happened? What did I allow to have happen in my life? It's just kind of fun, and it kind of puts uh, another uh, puzzle piece. I like to think of sometimes our lives and, and putting puzzles in, and if this didn't happen, you know, this did happen, and I'm so grateful that that didn't happen, all to say that I do believe in a silver lining with everything that happens in our life, and some things make you kind of go, wow, I was... Maybe I was saved for a reason, mm-hmm. which ties into you know something we talked about. Um, I think in our first episode about purpose, yes, and and really tapping into that. Yeah. And, and I I believe that we are saved to do things. Oh, absolutely. It wasn't right? it wasn't until I was writing my my new book, uh, Broken Spirit, Awakened Soul: My Journey of Healing with the Angels, and actually was given by the angels the outline of what it was going to be about, which was my four disabilities and my eight near-death situations. And then I realized, wow, okay, it made sense what I had learned or chosen to accept in my consciousness about exit points from Doreen. These were all my exit points. And it it made absolute sense to me that this is what was happening and also that I had also made the choice not to leave. Yeah, as you're talking, I'm thinking here about um, what was really interesting. We're going to talk uh, to you about it just uh, coming up right next. Was uh, how we both chose one at age four. Yeah, very different. We're going to talk about that. And I didn't, I didn't realize that it, it, we were both four. I know until we started doing the soul sisters, soul sisters. I know and we started going through our notes and stuff. Yeah, and it's like wow. Yeah, like yeah. oh, interesting yeah. alignment. Yeah. Um, but what I'm gonna say about that, so what was what was uh, what I was thinking when you were just speaking there for a minute is um that these exit points that we have, and truly, it doesn't really matter the number but i I like thought it was like five or six. you thought it was maybe nine. so let's just say there's a handful under ten for sure. Mm-hmm. And other spiritual practitioners may have different information about that. But um, the thing is that I'm wondering if we, when we don't choose one, I and we're talking like hair's breadth that you could have been killed. Mm -hmm. Um, Or maybe, you know, you had an illness, Mm -hmm. a disease or something that they brought you back. And, oh my gosh, you know, they saved you. And it was like, what? Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm just wondering if um, the chart in our life is going one way. And then it was sort of like, and I don't know, like, I mean, I'm just throwing stuff out here. And then all of a sudden it's kind of like, oops, I didn't, that was, the life could have ended there, mm-hmm. but for some reason, mm-hmm. and all of the people and the components, I'll just call them people components, everything we do in life, everyone we meet, all the next experiences um, shaped us, forced us, influenced us, I don't know. To do another, take another, another path. Yes. Yep. And it's just so complicated, but it's just fun to think about. Yeah. It's just fun to think about and go, hmm. Yep. And um, I do have some examples in my own life. Uh, Definitely I can share them as we get going on this. But why don't we turn to our uh, first almost dying experiences at age. Four. Okay. I don't want to dig too deep into no, it. No. I know what mine is. Okay. I'll well, uh, we'll start. You well, can... mine is very simple. I nearly drowned um, at this heated pool called Harrison Hot Springs. And um, I was running around the pool, and uh, I probably have told you this before, and mom, and mom was sitting on the deep end, and um, our family used to go once in a while to this uh, pool pool. And, um, it's in British Columbia and, you know, it's a lovely little pool. Anyway, I, uh, I ran as most kids do from the deep end to this point that was at about, you know, maybe three quarters deep end, but on the side of, of the pool and fell in, of course. And I fell in right by this man, older man. I still, rem- I still remember clearly and I couldn't swim and I guess I was sinking and I can still just remember looking at his legs from the knees down because he was sitting on the side of the pool and wondering why he didn't save me, pull me out. But here's the interest, and it went no further than that. And, but my little life went before me. And I still remember, I, I can't tell you, I remember a collage of images, but enough that uh, that was happening in my little young four year old brain mind. And, um, and then whoosh, mom pulled me out. And had she not seen me go in. Well, the, yes. It, right? Yeah. But that guy would not have it. a sister right now. Yeah. Right. And anyway, it's not for me to debate and wonder why the guy didn't pull me up. Maybe he didn't know I was actually drowning. But I knew. That's the thing. I knew. Mm-hmm. Now, I didn't at that point. I didn't see a white light. Nothing like that so but it for me it really felt like um oh i'm not going to be here anymore and then and mom saved me and of course i got in trouble for running around the pool now yours oh okay well when i was four i went to the store with my girlfriend uh in a little town called canal to buy some candy and mom had given us permission to go there and so we got our candy and then we were heading back to her place, and normally when we did this, um, we would end up at our house together, but for some reason, I do not know to this day how we got separated, because our houses were back-to-back, separated by a very small, uh, uh, we were fenced in, and they were fenced in, and so there was a pathway between our two houses. Anyway, I went through, down the path, and up the stairs to her house, and uh, well, before I got Up the stairs to her house, her brother had yelled out to me, "Um, where were we? He was screaming down to me, where did you go? In a really belittling way. And I just said, we were at the store, and he said, what did you buy? I think I told him it was none of his business, but we had bought some candies. And so anyway, I asked him if Holly, my my girlfriend, was there. And he he said, "Yes, she's in the house. So I ran up the stairs, and he immediately grabbed me and uh, had a butcher knife in his hand and put it around my neck and dragged me into the house through the big double doors that they had, the wooden doors that they had off of the veranda into his house. And there was nobody in there but his sister. And he asked his sister, or he told his sister, to uh, shut all the windows that were really high up. And so she did. And then he held me at knife point, dragged me through the house, and I was screaming for mom. And then, miraculously, mom heard and she saved me. And to find out more about the details, uh, it's in my book. So, yeah. Brenda details uh, that story a little bit, uh, quite a bit more in her in her book. Mm-hmm. And we're not going to get into the impact uh, necessarily, other than to no, say that. I was totally traumatized, you right? Right. I was traumatized for life. By, for life. By that. Yes. Yeah. And, uh Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so would you say, so we're going to talk, we we don't have time to get into all the details of of these near death. What we're just saying is both of us at four years old had uh, experiences where we nearly died, one from drowning and my sister, unfortunately, being held at knife point where our mom was able to actually um, uh, basically get her out of that situation. And we'll get both of us now thinking about it, mom sake Oh, yeah. of us yeah mom saved both of us yeah yep oh my never never thought about never that, thought about know. that either right this holy thing. smoly yeah. thanks mom yeah. yeah yeah love you mom and so for me i can't say at four years old what that exit point would have been but maybe it was more about mom needing us to stay than us needing to be here I don't know. Uh-huh. Just throwing it out there, yep. g- given that she was our rescuer yep. in both situations. Yep. That's so interesting. Yep. Uh, uh, the other two that I had were when I was 18 and when I was 30, uh, both of them nearly being hit uh, by a vehicle on a crosswalk. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, where that yeah. you feel. A, whoosh, yeah. And I believe you had a near crosswalk yeah. uh, death. Yes, at I- what age were you? Oh, I can't remember. In my 40s. In your forty? Yeah, I had a- Uh, That near-death experience, and I had a near-death experience uh, rafting, white wire rafting. So so we've each gone through a few, and um, I nearly lost my daughter, who almost got uh, hit. She did, actually. I did lose her when she was 22. But when she was uh, about nine, uh, she nearly got hit on her bike by a car, a speeding car. And that was one time that it almost felt like the angels kind of moved her a little bit faster than life really goes. Mm -hmm. I wasn't working with the angels back then. I just want to say I was actually, she crossed the, the her bike across the street, uh, before I had, you know, signaled we can go together. And so I was still on my bike, um, stopped, uh, on the side of the street watching her do this. And I literally, it was literally like being in another, um, time mm-hmm. element like dimension or what dimension yeah as something yeah and i'm going to go angels for sure it saved her because it wasn't her time to go mm-hmm. and so how i equate that to tie in these exit points to our own personal experiences where we've had them and i would wager almost all of us have had whoa that was a close call mm-hmm. or your kids um somebody really close to you where it's really impacted your life And in that situation, which I don't even know if I had told you about that situation, uh, which when she was nine, she was clearly going to leave me. It just, it wasn't that exit. Mm. It ended up being 13 years later. Mm. Crap, but, you know, Mm. yikes. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so those are interesting when you look at the whole contract, the reason for being here, purpose. And a lot of us, I think, if not most of us look for purpose Mm -hmm. And our loved ones, our kids, our partners, sometimes our siblings, they play a, a part in some of our purpose stuff. Mm-hmm. People go through things together, certainly spouses in some cases. Mm-hmm. And it's just really interesting. All we're, all we're doing here is inviting you to think about um, exit points, any ones that you could have taken earlier in your life. It's not to sit here and contemplate when the next one's going to come up, because I certainly don't do that. Mm-hmm. but. I think what it left me with mm-hmm. overall mm-hmm. is understanding um or at least thinking about we well, could go at any time. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And um yeah, and I think that's worth considering mm-hmm. in how we act, mm-hmm. in how we treat each other. Mm-hmm. And um yeah, and and just basically how we can plan so if we, in the event that we do pass, we don't leave things so messy for our surviving loved ones. Mm -hmm. I do a little bit of work on emergency preparedness, and we're not going to talk about that here. What we're talking more about Mm -hmm. is having these experiences ourselves. Mm -hmm. We know how fragile life is. Absolutely. And it also makes you kind of think, I wonder which exit I'm really going to take. Right. Right. Does that then do that for you a little bit? It does. It does. But also what it did to me uh, after the last one, I uh, became very conscious of each breath I was taking for Mm. quite some time. And especially when I go to bed at night and I just lay there and I consciously breathe in and out and go, is this the last breath I'm going to take tonight? You do? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Is this the last breath? Is this the last breath? Yeah. That's so so interesting. uh, You know. Because one never knows when it's gonna be the last breath. Yeah. You know? Yeah, we've had um sudden like our mom actually did end up dying really suddenly when she was seventy eight, and none of us expected that. Um but both of us believe also that we become in tune mm-hmm. when our time to be on the planet yeah, is kind of near. coming, yeah, coming to a Close. Close. Exactly. Our time for transitioning. And our moms certainly knew that. Yep. And I know that people in palliatives that work in palliative or even have shared stories about their loved ones who kind of were in tune with, you know, um, you know, waiting to take their last breath. So they had said all their goodbyes. But, you know, I just really believe that um, for most of us or some of us, I don't know which I want to say, most or some, that... I I I want to believe, I want to believe we know when our time here is, is, is done at mm-hmm. what we came here to do. We're complete mm-hmm. and everything we feel, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like it's okay to go. Right. And that almost sounds like, and I'm talking about going naturally here or, you know, basically having that exit point. And, um, I wonder, I'm just going to ask the question. I don't know that we can answer it cause I don't think we can, Okay. but uh, the question is, I wonder if, um, we are able to, um, like if we set an exit point and say, I just really want to die in my sleep peacefully and I want to live to like 102, you know, or whatever mm-hmm. I wonder. And because that's so prominent in my mind, mm-hmm. I just wonder if that's the one sort of exit point stamped approved <laughs> from the council in the other world, spiritual council. And yeah, and I just relax, Vaughn. Don't don't even think about it. That's that's kind of the one that you've you've literally chosen. You were playing with the other ones, but I don't know. Well, I think it's whenever we believe we. Yeah, like I if it's a thought, so if, I think... Yeah, like think if we manifest anything that we... Including our exit point. Exactly. That, that was sort of the question. Yeah, yeah, no, Well, I believe that. Do you believe that? Yes. Yeah, so. so I'm just saying, relax out there. If you want to live to 102, great. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's not to say for people that say, you know, that that you know say, because we did talk in the last episode on a more serious note here, all about the struggles that people have. So I'm not trying to make this super lighthearted. All the people who struggle... um you know, with just thinking they're done. And again, you, you would want to listen to the episode to talk about it, especially when you're involved with your purpose work, your light work and all of that. Um, so I'm not making light of this and kind of go, well, well, what exit point? Like, where's my exit point? Where's my exit point? Um, it's very com- complicated. And um, yeah, but it's just, we're just, we're just here to, um, you know, inspire thoughts, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm conversation and Absolutely. and just simulate the uh, old brainwaves there and see what yeah. actually feels right. Yeah, and also I think it adds a bit of a respect and honor for our lives, mm-hmm. a preciousness to what we have chosen mm-hmm. to go through on this planet. Mm-hmm. And uh we're going to be talking about that um next episode, the pain and the hardship and the struggle and why and, you know, really give yourself a pat on the back, pat on the back, pat on the back for, number one, choosing this. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. But sticking with it. Yep. Right? Yeah. I think that's kind of where I wanted to sort of go with talking about these. Yeah. We're still here. We're still We're still here. Yeah. 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 Okay. And so are you if you're watching this. <laughs> <laughs> or oh, listening to this. Oh, yeah. Good point. Yeah, you what you thought. You were. You really are. You're right. <laughs> <A> wakey, wakey. <laughs> okay. So we're going to turn to dysfunction. Yeah, seriously, dysfunction. And the reason um, we chose this as uh, something to talk about is, as I mentioned earlier, it really shapes us. And uh, the more exp- The more expansive our consciousness comes, it becomes. And obviously, you can, you know, add your uh, thoughts on this as well right now. Uh, The more kind of like you just take responsibility Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. your life, your incarnation, Mm -hmm. and all that that encompasses the good, the bad, and the in between. Mm -hmm. So, Brenda and I, we're like that, right, sis? My absolute uh, code of Conduct for how I operate is um, I create my own reality yeah. 100%. Yeah. So there's nothing that I do not accept responsibility for in my life at this point. It took me a long time to get here, but I have no one to blame. And I blame no one for yeah. anything that has happened in my life to this point. Nobody. Yeah. And we've both lived like that for decades, really. Yeah. Decades. So I will I will acknowledge and honor for those of you who are tuning into this and going, yeah, no, no, I can, you know, what about my, you know, child abuse and this. So I, I basically, and in my years of being a practitioner uh and helping others, I always say I don't touch those subjects. That really is something that, you know, issues that are really, really just too traumatic for you to deal with as an individual in this life, in this incarnation, then don't deal with them. And if, if it's just too massive for you, um, for me, for you to take responsibility for something that has happened. And so I say that respectfully, but also, Coming uh, from being a bereaved mother and losing my beautiful, gorgeous only daughter at the age of 22 to suicide, I feel that um, I am comfortable enough sharing how I choose to live my life. And I absolutely still ran with that, um, you know, or, or I still, I still applied that principle, foundational. I like what you said. Code of a quote a of of how you conduct yourself mm-hmm. how I believe it's so entrenched in me I still recognize that I chose this experience losing her and I respect and honor that this experience has happened in my life there's no blame we do not blame others do we no I don't even blame my daughter for going so that is a foundation of what both Brenda and I what both you and I um either teach, share in messaging, however we do our work and how we lived before, Mm -hmm. it's just when you live like that and, and yeah, yeah, I got it, I believe that too, and then something really happens to challenge that, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Like you're not wanting to be on the planet and uh, and your own suicide uh, attempt and me losing my child and certainly not wanting to be here uh you know it it i knew I, I knew i wasn't i knew i wasn't going to end my life necessarily but i uh i had to dig deep i had to dig deep mm-hmm. to want to stay but i still still right off the bat knew and accepted i had created the experience i just didn't like anybody reminding me of that mm-hmm. you created that mm-hmm. i was like you know Go away. But so I'm saying that super respectfully if anyone is listening to this and watching uh, this and just going, you're just wrong, you're wrong. Okay, I am wrong. Mm-hmm. And I respect that that is not something that you want to, uh, you know, apply or believe in for your own life, and I respect that. So when we're talking about about this, um, and you're the same way, a lot of compassion and empathy for people who aren't uh, – where we are in our thinking right and just you know it's for me it's all about just taking no it for me it's all about whatever little key message it could be three words that stick in your mind mm-hmm. and i have i've had to do this all of my life uh since i began my spiritual practice at age 25 you can only absorb so much mm-hmm. And then even when you know you have all of that, when Janaea died, and I was twenty-three years into my spiritual practice, I had to relearn it all, mm-hmm. pretty much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I get it. Mm-hmm. I really, really get it. So um, I think the one thing that I also want to say is what I understand for myself and what works for me. I'm not at all trying to uh, persuade any other person to think. Mm. Or adopt any ideas that I share. Mm-hmm. This is, I have come to this understanding through my own trials and tribulations, yeah, and I have walked my own my path, my own way and by myself. And so I'm not here to convince anybody to to adopt uh, these ideas, right, and practices that yeah. i that I have put in place for my life. And this has taken me a long time uh, because I did not come into the understanding of I create my own reality until probably the eighties, nineteen eighties, and so. So, but here's a you know, question. Even on that note, it yeah, it take it took years for both of us in our and and we weren't sitting there comparing notes. Hey, sis, we both arrived at our metaphysical spiritual practice. On our own, in our own time, I was twenty-five, and I had my own set of circumstances that that brought me to it. And frank, quite frankly, it was becoming a mom, and um, at age twenty-five with my daughter. And you came to it your own way, yeah. and so you don't compare notes on this, mm-hmm. uh, but you do absorb uh, the information yeah. and have it. I always just love the word expand. Expand your consciousness and expand your life yeah. the way you can. And the way you are sort of guided to. Mm -hmm. And you may have some experiences that are like really super powerful. You know, at the time I came into contact with, you know, all of us in color in in the spiritual realm, realm, which was the actual, I think, moment I connected to higher consciousness. Mm -hmm. And I would have been about 27 at that time. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't until... uh, in just a second here it wasn't until 2006 when I was um just months before we both went to train under Doreen to be at that time we were called angel therapy practitioners uh that my third eye actually opened and that took losing my daughter and and my eye actually my third eye actually literally opened and, and I saw it for years and, and um and then eventually I didn't need to always see it and it kind of, so it's there but you know and other people saw it too when we were at training So things happen to us Mm -hmm. in tiny, tiny things, which I think are the most wonderful to practice rather than, you know, be hit with something so enormous that it is life changing. Mm -hmm. But that is quite frankly how some people choose Mm -hmm. to become aware, become enlightened, to change their whole entire life experience. Uh, And all it takes is one kind of light bulb moment and you're on that path, right? And I'm just going to throw out here for those of you who, you know, we're talking about third third eye and higher consciousness and all that. So for myself, I don't even really know what a third eye is and I've never had it open and I've never seen anybody in a higher consciousness frame. So I'm just saying to you, it doesn't mean that if we're saying anything to you and you're going, what? Yeah. I haven't done that yet. I haven't done that yet. It may not be your path Mm -hmm. to ever come to your spiritual awakening on this planet through anything or some of the, either anything or some of the things we're saying. Mm -hmm. Because our journey is our journey, our individual journey. Yeah. And my sister will have had many experiences that I have not had Mm -hmm. and vice versa. Exactly. And so what it doesn't mean. We haven't been on a spiritual awakening path here for years and years and years. So everybody has their journey a different way. Yeah. And that's all I want to make sure that you understand. So we're not trying to leave you with if you've never had anything we're saying happen to you that you didn't get it. Yeah. No, no. You may have had totally different experiences and fully be on your spiritual path. And I think um I'll let you speak to this really um quickly. I think the overall thing in when when I think of a spiritual practice and I think of uh well metaphysics is really just looking at life that it's more than the physical and a ton of stuff falls into that. A spiritual practice for me is acting with the knowledge um that there is more than just this human body and to treat everyone including myself, and the last one takes maybe a lot a long time for a lot of people um, but m- even if we start with treating others with the respect, the honor, the um I see you that that it, it's really true. I see you and and just, you know just honoring that we're all in this together on this planet and it's choosing just to be, The best that we can be on any given day with love and kindness in our heart. Simple terms. And some of us learn that as parents with the absolute love that you feel when that little babe is born. And every single parent who, you know, is obviously wanting to be a parent and they look at that child and my life has changed. I've never felt a love like this before. Um, So that, and I'm talking here for good parents and a well-meaning and intentioned parents, of course. And so just let's keep it in that context for the moment. That, that same love, unconditional love that sometimes it takes a child for us to, you know, open it up and you know, sort of engage with that. Sometimes it's a partner. Sometimes it's just like what we were talking about something that's happened that brings you to that it could even be a near near death life experience a near death experience whatever it is that brings you to that oh my god i just feel this overwhelming it's an overwhelming just sense of um almost internal bliss for me when i'm uh, when i'm just in that state and because we can't necessarily always stay there it's just having those principles of how we want to treat each other the way we would want to be treated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of a long-winded take on it. But I don't know, how, how would you sort of define just a, a commitment to a spiritual practice? And because it's not all about well becoming a channel or be, being psychic or as Brenda said, seeing these things in another realm and communicating with someone in the afterlife with none of that, which is really makes a spiritual practice. Yeah. What is a spiritual practice for you? Well, not being a mother. So I've never experienced having that first look at your baby when it's born. Um, so all I've come to understand, and I write about this a lot in my book, but my philosophy has basically come down to to applying five traits in my life, which are caring, consideration, compassion, kindness, and respect, to treat each other with those qualities and traits. Mm-hmm. And for me. That's what gives me uh, a sense of unconditional love for another human being. Mm-hmm. And when I'm treated, it's exchanged with me, reciprocated to me. I feel that love with the other individual. So, And it it's obviously, it can be anybody. It doesn't need to be a family member. I've had many exchanges, one-on-one, where, which are fleeting, very fleeting, mm-hmm uh conversations with people which have been where did that come from Mm -hmm. and uh and it's really cool if you have a a fleeting moment with we'll just call them a stranger Mm -hmm. but in there's something that's kind of like I know you Mm -hmm. I see you and I know you Mm -hmm. and the other thing I want to say is animals animals can bring that out in us absolutely unconditional love kindness you know compassion and just, oh my God. And I no longer here. An example is I no longer have animals in my life. And, um, uh, Bren has a cat. Uh, but anytime I see a little muppet of a, of a puppy or a cat, a kitten, doesn't matter any animal, you know, that brings out those same feelings in me that, um, that warmth and joy, because, you know, I no longer have a small child to cuddle and feel that warmth uh, with. But any number of things—you might see that in nature. Yep. That's not the point. The point is, I think that I want to just sort of um, conclude this little topic on yeah. is when you are in a in a in a spiritual consciousness and have love for others, love for yourself, love for um, whatever you can in this world. And you wish you basically come from the light. Okay. Basically, it's light and, um, that type of energy that you just, and you see it, you see it as possible. Um, and, and when you meet someone else with that same consciousness, mm-hmm. it's just a connection. It's wonderful. It's a bond, a yeah. connection. And it, it can even be online. It, you know, it can be, you know, a virtual thing. It can be just. Uh, it's, but it's this. It's, it's this. You have the same energy. I think what I, I also will interject and say, if it, yeah, yeah, if it might be for you as well. But when I've had this exchange, this quote-unquote light exchange with another human being, mm-hmm. that I feel so much joy in my heart and walk away yeah. from from that. Yeah, whether it's a tiny, short, couple of minute conversation or it's a longer conversation or it's several exchanges over a period of time yeah. i just feel much happier in my soul after i've had that experience yeah food for the soul exactly so let's talk a little bit about dysfunction and i decided um today to um you know be really open and honest um because we've talked a lot. So we came uh, from dysfunction of suicide attempts and uh, multiple suicide attempts, um, you know, by our mother well, until I was age 10, and, and you were about 14. 14. Yep. And so uh, I don't personally want to dwell on that. One of the reasons uh, today, because it's very complicated, and one of the reasons I don't talk and haven't talked very much about it in my work and um, you know, in my podcasting episodes and things like that is because we're, we are a culture that's very quick to judge. And because I lost my daughter to suicide, I won't disrespect her journey on this planet and other people characterizing her as mentally ill and what was in the genes and so on and so forth, you know, all that stuff. And um, I once did an interview many years ago. Um, It was actually about a year after, no, it was actually just maybe three or four years after, after she passed. And it was on a community cable channel. And uh, I was there basically and made it clear I wanted to be there to just share inspiration and, and talk about the work I was doing and not focus at all on suicide. And my daughter's passing and they asked a couple of questions and then edited the whole thing down to like five minutes where it focused only on all of these really super negative aspects. Um, of you know mental illness and things like that, and I said I'm never going to do that again. Mm-hmm. So, um, but it is a fact that we grew up with that, um, you know, situation, and so we were very aware of death, right? Mm-hmm. Potential death, as well as we could understand it in our various age uh, ranges. Well, I think would we were, you say I, for me, and I'm pretty sure for you, but you'd have to say. We we're very aware of life and impending death, like, yeah, like at any moment, yeah, because we never knew when we were going to come home from school or right. church or whatever if our mother was going to be alive. So not for a long time after her first or t- or first couple of attempts when we were smaller. But as we got a little bit older. I I can only speak for myself, Yeah, but i used to cringe walking down our street, which was a very short street to our driveway, wondering if she was still there or had been taken away. Yeah. And so because I was younger, um, I felt, um, and the reason I'm, I'm bringing this up is for anybody who is struggling with dysfunction, came from dysfunction, you're embarrassed, you're ashamed about it and so on and so forth. And, and, and many other ways it impacts us uh, to feel different. Um, so I will say from probably the age of six when I kind of became aware of it and we lived in a pretty typical uh, suburb, right? A, a, a medium-sized town, suburb, nice home, big backyard, blah, 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 all that stuff. Um, but having a parent who was in trouble and years later, I will never diagnose another individual, but having been in touch with many different, um, you know, mental disorders uh, in trying to uh, determine, geez, what may have been, what may have, you know, wh- what did they miss with my daughter um, and just different things. Okay. Uh, I remember I said to you recently, I honestly thought mom was dealing with postpartum depression. Mm-hmm. Which in the 50s was not something we talked about, but six pregnancies, six years, two miscarriages in those, four kids in six years, then four live births in six years. Um, it was a lot for her. And at her heart, and I want to honor and respect this about our mom, is that our mother was a um a um a pianist, a musician, an artist, and um she had uh, a right to have that freedom of expression in her life. But for whatever reason, in her contract, her choosing, she ended up going the route that, you know, needed uh, to be a mother as best she could. But clearly these attempts um, were, uh, you know, and I'm just, you know, basically saying it how I feel, you know, either her cry for help that this, something was wrong, really, really wrong. And at that time, there just was no help for it. Right. And um, so she went through her own journey, which we're not going to talk about her journey. But we love her. We bless her. Respect her. And we're happy to say that she did recover when I was 10, working with a fabulous therapist who understood that what how they were trying to treat her suppose I mean I was a kid so I'm just and and I didn't get a chance to talk to mom too much about this in her life so had she told me this in her words I would share some of what she said she didn't so I am just expecting we do know she did say and share with us that changed her life getting the right help and then from there, she found her purpose. Work she did, mm-hmm. and she was amazing. Mm-hmm. And um, she uh, dedicated her life to uh, her music. She painted. She was amazing at anything she did and touched. And really, I think her artistry had been her create creativity had been smothered yes. by this domesticity yes. and being stuck in a in a situation that felt so wrong for her soul. Correct. And I, you know, I I honor and respect that for anyone struggling with that. Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness. Because Mm -hmm. until you understand that you're not aligned with why you really, your larger purpose, why you really came to this planet Mm -hmm. and we do other things. Mm -hmm. I don't want to say it's diversions, but because I think everything we do is charted and, you know, and is meant to be. But. I think we can sometimes get muddled and put more importance on some things that we can either grow out of or we need to make more space for ourselves mm-hmm. and don't allow ourselves to do that. Yep. And okay, I think I I, and I think, so much dysfunction comes from that. Mm-hmm. I wanted to just ask you, so giving you a little bit of context, folks, the context about our childhood, mm-hmm. I would say that's probably pretty severe dysfunction, mm-hmm. right? Like not knowing if you're going to have a parent alive when you come home. That's a lot to kind of deal with, uh, with, and both of us having some trauma, uh, you know, experiences uh, directly related to uh, situations dealing with mom uh, on in respectively that, you know, impacted us. So for me, what I really wanted to ask talking about this today is how did um, this dysfunction just really generally characterizing it? Because, again, we're talking and trying to help people that have this alcoholism. You know, abandonment, mm-hmm. drugs, even abuse. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, we were also both hit. You know, we weren't abused per se, but you know, this I consider spankings on bare butts. Mm-hmm. It'd be abusive today. You'd get your kids taken away today. Mm-hmm. It's embarrassing, humiliating. Mm-hmm. Anytime that you're as a child being treated by a parent or guardian, where they are um, abusing that that responsibility and making you feel powerless through violence, through abuse of any kind, mm-hmm. through abandonment, through, you know, just even, you know, uh, shaming you through, through you know, forcing you to, you know, either shut up or put up, you know, there's so many numerous things that we come from as adults in our childhood. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's all dysfunction. Mm -hmm. But I did want to ask you with our own dysfunction, which by the way, I personally am not making worse than any other dysfunction, but I did just want to acknowledge that I think it was probably pretty severe. Mm -hmm. How did it impact you um, in making uh I don't want to say necessarily making choices for your life, but just how did it influence influence you as you left home and and you know and sort of charted your way through your adulthood? Did you let it kind? Did it influence you negatively? Like how how did it leave you? Well, I think no. I think it, it it influenced me more when I was living at home, and you know at age thirteen I wanted to die. I actually ran out of my classroom at uh, school. And ran under some bushes and just prayed. And I was very much into Christian philosophy at that time, Christian religion, and just prayed to God to please take me. Like right, so what, right what, why at thirteen to even have that awareness? Mm-hmm. What, what did you want to just escape the uh, the home life? Oh no! I, well, I was just devastated at the situation with me feeling that the uh, whole community knew my mom was crazy oh. and mental and um so did you feel ashamed yeah oh you felt I, ashamed you know, felt very ashamed to be, and also very uh angry because they didn't know mom and so i felt like it was what do you mean by that they didn't know mom well to t- to fall oh, we the mean the stigma mental stigma the, mental, the stigma, was, um, the stigma of being right mentally ill right that, that she was crazy and nuts and all the other things that you would use as adject- adjectives for somebody who was mentally ill back in the 50s and 60s well well they use it today yeah they they literally that's again why I've been very quiet about this mm-hmm. um but interesting I want to jump on the point that I'm 6 you're, you're you're 10 I'm 7 you're 11 I'm 8 you know you're 12 uh, until 10 and 14 mm-hmm. and we had similar uh, interpretations of what was going on around us, you would have had a little bit more awareness and real understanding. I'm a little kid, and I don't know, but I did feel the shame. Mm-hmm. Oh my yeah. god, couldn't have sleepovers, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and well, I, I, there was something wrong. I just, I, I still though remember. Haven't let this impact me. And where I'm really getting to this is if we've let any of this dysfunction impact us, but I still remember clear as a bell. Mm-hmm. You know. Very, very rarely could I have a friend stay overnight. And more often than not, nine times out of ten, I'd have to go to a friend's place. And I was really um, impacted, is the only word I can say, by how their houses, you know, their homes, Mm -hmm. their home life Mm -hmm. It's what I wanted. And I didn't have that. Mm -hmm. Now, to be clear, we lived in a bungalow. Nothing wrong with it. Our dad worked for the government, right? Brought in the steady paycheck, Mm -hmm. but the four walls don't matter. Mm -hmm. What matters is the dysfunction and the turmoil going on within us that doesn't allow us to see that. So our home became something to almost, I don't want to necessarily say to be feared, Mm -hmm. but how you were saying you would sometimes have anxiety or what, What you know, coming down the, the very short um you know, a little street, um, it was called Elm Street. And so for a lot of years I was like, yeah, nightmare on Elm Street. It's true. And there was even a murder suicide across the street from us. I will not name the town. Okay. (laughs) But that's, but, but having this, um, foreboding, it's like, it's like a foreboding. So for me, I just want to jump in here. Okay. Yeah. So because of mom's illness and me being the oldest of four kids, and it being her being, uh, starting having her suicide attempts at very early on. So I, at the age of eight, took over the responsibilities of being the mother in the household. Mm. So I did the cooking when I came home. I got supper ready. I did the laundry. I looked after all the kids, the other three kids, uh, to the best of my ability. So I basically became like the second mom in the house. And, um, so my childhood was basically... Uh, you were I, robbed of I, your childhood. I did. Yeah, I did. I, did, I didn't, didn't have what a person would call like a normal childhood. So I was a no. very, very mature eight-year-old. And I was left to babysit the kids like when I was 10. And uh, well, from eight. Yes, uh, just to be... So know. there were four of us all two years apart. Yeah. Give or we take. Basically, yeah, yeah. yeah. At a certain point in the year, we're all two years apart. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, yeah. I'm just saying I became sort of the mature... You were the caregiver caregiver of of the four children. You were the child's Stuff. caregiver of yeah. children. Yeah. And I would have been the illness with our mom started uh right after the birth would you say of our youngest brother? Yep. And um so I would have been oh, like Oh, no, I I'd say it was she had she was hospitalized before you and after you with her So it started even her, before I was born. Right. Be, with okay. her two um pregnancies she lost. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so mm-hmm. your experience was the caregiving and the responsibility and knowing at 13, I'm out, mm-hmm. I'm out. Yeah. But just having that awareness, mm-hmm. I'm going to, I mean, today mm-hmm. we have 10 year olds t- taking their life. Yeah. I mean, my God. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So we didn't. We didn't hear I didn't hear the word suicide as a child in the home. Mm. Not that I can remember and I'm aware of, but I was very well aware to the degree I could understand it, that mom had done something to kill herself. Mm. So the words really in my frame of reference were kill herself. Right, right. Right? I, is that how does yeah, that I, I would say like I oh ne- God, never understood. Anything about it being a suicide attempt? No, we didn't talk and about it no. like that. No. Yeah. So it's just our mom kept trying to kill herself. Yeah. And I can't have my friends over. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And, um, And I don't even know if this is a clear memory where sometimes maybe we couldn't even go somewhere because something like of a crisis nature was going on in the family. But the whole thing was so dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. Relationships, everything. It was just a small space of such dysfunction right it's a miracle like that we actually came out of there without any severe addictions Mm -hmm. I left home just before I turned 16 and I mean I guess I could have ended up on the street but instead I ended up working for the phone company I did lie and say I was 17 when they hired me and I was promoted to supervisor. So I guess that says something about, because I also kind of think that we choose our disposition that we're going to come into the life Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We choose everything. Right? Like, I'm going to be a positive person in this life, and I'm going to go up against so much dysfunction, but you're also going to be a supervisor at the phone company when you're 17. Like, yeah. Like, right? (laughs) High five. High five. (laughs) Brenda worked at St. Paul's Company. <laughs> we worked there together. Yes, we did. <laughs> anyway, uh, we won't discuss any more about that. But we did have fun and I moved on from there after about a year. So being that kid caregiver as a kid yourself. Ah, mm-hmm. huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what's that done to you? Well, it's made me a very mature adult and kind of always like I didn't have time to to really think too much about myself. Um, because I was looking after my primary role was to care give. Yeah. So that's what I've kind of been most of my, most of my life as a, as a caregiver, whether it's been through sitting through, uh, you know, listening to people just talk to me and I needed to be just a listening ear or to, uh, provide, council when I felt that I had something that that person needed to hear. Whatever. Anyway, the role for me just de- definitely wasn't to grow up and get married, which I had wanted to do and have children until that didn't was, happen. wasn't part of my path. Yeah. One fun thing to do um, in the midst of all this doom and gloom is um, I love to sometimes just Pretend I'm going above my body. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, usually I'm lying down when I do this. <laughs> you know? <laughs> in my high ceilings here. Um, and I look at my life. You know? I just kind of look at it in pieces. Chapters almost. Mm-hmm. And kind of like... Kind of like... Just make a montage. Oh, yeah. Of, of, nice. of what I've chosen. Mm-hmm. How I was as a kid... Things I love, things I, and, and, and I, you know, you kind of can do this when you have specific memories. Mm -hmm. Like I loved clothes and fashion. Oh yeah. And I was fascinated, um, you know, by cutting out pristine images from the Sears catalog. And I still remember cutting them out my living room with the right furniture and the mom and dad and the two kids. And I'd put all the different rooms, um, lay them out. You know, on the bed and and kind of play house like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I ended up creating mm-hmm, in my life. Mm-hmm. And so you can actually quite clearly, if you go back and sort of do this thing where it's such just kind of digging into your memories, but kind of taking a snapshot like a drone, mm-hmm. your drone self, mm-hmm. and looking down at what impacted you the most. and there's going to be a few really, really vivid memories. You know, me banging away on an Olivetti typewriter typing this story and, um, you know, and, and and just writer. So a writer, somebody liking clothes doesn't mean I went into fashion, but I, I have always uh, paid attention to appearance for the most part. Um, you know, wanted that that pristine home mm-hmm. and all of these things can, of course, cause some problems for us um, if we, you know, don't deal with where these things come from, and we're using that as to um, as a way to kind of make up for what we didn't get. Mm-hmm. So, and there's nothing wrong in 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 creating a great life for yourself because you don't want to repeat the dysfunction, right? But what I'm getting at here is, have we dealt with the trauma of that in our lives? I'm not sure I did. Oh, I'm I'm complete with the trauma now. Yeah, well, I'm not saying I am or I'm not. I just didn't make the trauma a part of my adult life. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I didn't. Mm -hmm. So I would agree with you. I don't feel like I'm sitting here anything incomplete, Mm -hmm. but both our parents are also gone, so there's not much you could clean up and clear up with them anyway Mm -hmm. if you were incomplete. Mm -hmm. But I just don't think that impacted me to the point I couldn't you know, choose a, you know, like, um, how do I want to say this? Like a better life. Yeah. Not get stuck. And, and do you know what I mean? I just, I do, I do. And I guess for my part, like, um, I had a wonderful relationship with mom and dad, both of them. Yeah. Right. Until they died. Yeah. So mom didn't live near me when she died, but I talked to her every day for months Yeah, because I was waiting for surgery. And except for the day she died and we had made an arrangement They a day before yeah. that we wouldn't talk the next day. Cause we were just saying the same thing over and over. And then that was the day she died. So for that, I'm a bit, uh, sad. but wait, wait, but interestingly, I have to say I did talk to her mm. and unlike Brenda, even though I lived within an hour of mom, I wasn't the one talking to her every single day, every single day. So it was kind of, it's kind of like a nice sharing that I did get to have that conversation that honor, afternoon. Exactly, exactly. So I'm just saying, so for me, I don't feel that I I had a great relationship with both my parents. So that was never a problem, mm-hmm. although we didn't live in the, either of them live in the same city as me. But uh, so here's a question. Do you think that and I don't want to simplify this. Um, we are coming to the top of the hour, too, as we talk about this. But do you think that not blaming your parents, our parents, your parents, our parents for, well, you certainly can't blame anyone for illness, right? Mm-hmm. But um, the way the illness was handled was quite traumatic, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, by dad and, um, you know, there, there was just a lot going on. But not blaming our parents, Do you think that frees us to just go and live our our best life instead of getting muddled by, you know, um, all of these things that simply put can kind of sometimes force us to choose, I don't want to deal with this. I am so pained and hurt by this. I'm just going to blur it out. And we do that through many uh, uh, devices, addiction. You know, just so m- t- numerous things. Well, for me, it's just I don't feel, and I never it was never part of my consciousness to blame mom or dad for anything that yeah. happened in my life. It just wasn't part of my consciousness. Yeah, not even until I became aware yeah. that I chose everything that happened to me in my life, anyway. But yeah, so it it is complicated. Again, we're just talking. You know, thinking as we're talking yeah. and just inviting you to think uh, about your own situation, if it has impacted you, stalled you in any way. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or also, if you're in a situation right now, yeah, good. And, point. and the situation hasn't passed. Yeah. And you have an opportunity, maybe through what we're sharing, is to say, oh, you know, like you have an opportunity at this juncture mm-hmm. to maybe do something or think a different way about what's going on in your life with with whatever situation mm-hmm. and just you know just know that there's more than one way to look at something absolutely and there's more than one way to do life. Mm-hmm. The strongest influence I think for me um, was that, I must have developed a sense of independence oh, as yes. a kid. Oh, you were very independent. Yeah. And um, and you I was? Oh, yeah, you were very independent. And a very, very strong-spirited, mm-hmm. and I wasn't going to let anything get me down. Hence, that's why I left home uh, just before my 16th birthday and has helped me live a life that very often has gone outside the color lines uh, in... Um, decades that things weren't really, you know, like I was a single parent in the eighties and it, it was still frowned upon in the eighties, literally. And I, I just never let anything hold me back. And that has served me extremely well having my most life-changing experience happen, which was losing my, my daughter um, I want to kudos, um, give credit here. Kudos to having my son who is a wonderful support. He's 31 now. Um, but losing my only daughter, um, you know, that has been the most devastating and challenging experience I've taken on in this life Yeah, in every, in every area, including my spiritual thought yep. and, um, in my my spiritual foundation is what I want to say, and I think that choosing this dysfunction in a family um, model helped me really survive what I've survived the last Absolutely. eighteen years Absolutely. and brought me right where I am today. Absolutely. So I want to say on that note that it has brought us to what we do today, and it's in its various ways. Yeah. We were not um, held prisoner to it, which a lot of people are, right? Mm-hmm. A lot. Well, what I, well, I guess what I want to say is that, like a lot of people blame their parents and their family dysfunction okay. for how it ruined their life. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't be any other way than the dysfunction that was shown to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, right. and so, you know, it, and, and this all sort of ties into not only self-responsibility, but also understanding that we have the power within us. Mm-hmm. Um, and this goes right back to our first episode we did together when we talked all about like church influence and things like that, things that really influenced us as children to understand. and then and then, as young adults, I should add with with more spiritual type, but still Christian related principles in that that under help both of us. We were saying in that first episode about how we understood the source, the God, the creator, that something really was much bigger than us in this human life, but we still had the power within us to tap into that and create the life we really want. And so I want to move in as we uh, close this one out and tease you a little bit for the next episode Mm -hmm. in talking about choice so we can choose Basically, the more awareness that we have, what we want to be impacted and influenced by, good, bad, right? Um, take the easy way out. Take on the challenges, right? Um, see the glass half full, half empty. You know, all of the opposites that we're presented with um, throughout life. And and you talk a lot about this in your book as well, being presented with the the opposites. Yeah. yeah. Have you talk about them as opposites, contrast. So we do get to choose what we want to be uh, influenced by and manifest the life that we, and that's why I'm going to go back to the word manifest and manifest the life that we want until we get to the point where we basically just put the order in and basically let it come to us as it needs to be delivered to us when we're ready for it, by the way. But just touching briefly, because we're going to start with this next episode on this whole concept of um, manifesting And um, believing, okay, maybe I can have a better life. Maybe I don't have to let my childhood impact me this way. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe I do want more than my illness. Mm -hmm. Maybe I do want to move beyond my grief. Mm -hmm. You know, take any any number of life uh, experiences or events. Mm, There's millions of them. So we're going to tease you a little bit with uh, where we're starting in uh, the next episode where... uh, uh, my my, this is my sister. So why don't you read read what it says? Okay, it says all I have to do is believe where there's a desire to achieve. And you wrote that in your book, and I just loved it because it's true. Mm. All you do have to do is believe that you can achieve uh, when you have the desire to do so. And I'm paraphrasing on that one, uh, and that has been a foundational piece since my. Uh, start into a spiritual practice and understanding metaphysics in my Mm -hmm. mid-twenties as I was both pregnant and, um, you know, became a new mom. And an interesting fact is um, I did have a lot of trauma uh, going on in my life. When I was expecting uh, Jenea, it brought me to the Unity, Unity Church, and I literally thought I was going to lose her while I was pregnant. And that, interestingly enough, brought me uh, to this need and desire to um, uh, go to Unity. And I didn't know what I was going to find at Unity Church, but I embraced all of these, you know, principles. They felt right. And as you embrace information, as you personally want to grow and expand your life, expand your consciousness, you'll know when you're hearing. The right messages. Oh, absolutely! What happens for me is it just resonates with within yeah. me. I feel light. I feel bright. Yeah, and I know it's right. You feel like you're at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, I I sobbed when these messages uh, first started to open my mind and my heart, and I knew my my baby was going to be okay, and I committed to be the best person I could, I wouldn't have seen it back in those years as evolved, but that's exactly what I was choosing, mm-hmm. to tap into my agreement for this inc- incarnation where I was going to evolve mm-hmm. to the best uh, and to uh, the the most that I could uh, before I leave this planet at 102, um, dying in my sleep. <laughs> <laughs> anyway... Um, we want to leave you uh, with that thought that um, you can create the life you want, right? What do you want to, your closing words on that uh, for people watching or listening to this? Well, I guess the one thing I would say is you're never too old mm. to set a uh, to set a goal and to say to yourself, or, or when I say a goal, something you want to achieve. And mm. uh, so it doesn't have to be big and lofty. It can just be, I want to get up and feel happier today, or or whatever it is for you. And just really understand that that comes from a place of, A, knowing you can have it, but like believing you can have it, mm-hmm. and expressing you can have it, mm-hmm. and accepting that. And so it is. Today, it is here and now. I have received it. And so as if it's in the present moment, you're receiving whatever it is you're asking that it's here now for you, and not something that's going to happen three months down the road, or or six months down the road, or when you change something in your in your being, um, we can create whatever it is that we want if we whatever we desire in any given moment for anything that it is that we want that we want to achieve. But we have to believe it. We have to really come from a place of, I absolutely believe I can have this. Otherwise, it it won't happen. And I'll just add that you deserve it. Yep. And absolutely. you get it when you're ready for it. Right. And we'll uh, teach you how to do that in our work through uh, all the various platforms uh, and formats that we work. Mm. Uh, so I did want to just say that next week we are going to be opening with uh, this idea again of uh, talking a little bit more on this ability to create what you want and none of these quick fixes like you know there's a secret no there's not and the uh, things and pain specifically that we're going to be having an opening up a discussion about uh, that many of us choose Uh, in my case it's been mental, emotional. My sister Brenda. It's been a lot physical. I'm not going to say there hasn't been mental, emotional because you get a me- mental and emotional pain from physical illness, which is that's your whole area. Mine is the uh, the bereavement and the uh, and and well, Brenda's bereaved as well. Interesting again because we come from these polar opposite experiences. Um, I'm the one that is in the you know you know the painful painful grief of the loss of the child and. Brenda has obviously experienced loss of a niece and and, and the grief and, and we give credit and respect and, you know, in grief, uh, you know, in all of our situations, uh, but more the physical, which I haven't had to deal with. So we bring, you know, well-rounded, uh, um, you know, array of experiences uh, of pain and suffering uh, to this idea of what do we need and want to let go of? to choose not to be stuck there in some cases or accept that we are there in this life and maybe one day we won't be so we're going to be tapping into a lot of uh of, a different uh some related to that um in next episode and i do hope you uh tune in and uh until then We are the Soul Sisters. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Bye.